Have a seat this morning. Wow, it is good to see you this morning. It is good to hear. It is good to hear your voices singing that chorus. Holy, holy, holy. I am grateful to be in this room and amongst these people. So, um, if this is your first time visiting uh, with us this morning or first time here, or if you've just forgotten who I am, my name is Cameron. Um, and uh, I'm the pastor here at Conduit. We welcome you. Uh, we're, we've, been, we've been praying for you. you. You don't know that we've been praying for you, but we've been praying for you. And um, we're, we're grateful to have you here this morning. So we're going to spend some time in the Word, in the book of Acts this morning. So you can, if you have a Bible with you, you can, you can flip over to the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the seat next to you. If there's not one in the seat next to you, we'll have the words up on the screen. Or if you have a smartphone, you can certainly look up a Bible there. If you have the Conduit Ministries app, which you should, there is a link to a Bible there that you can use as well. Um, I'll say at the outset here, before we go uh, too much further into the morning, I wanted to remind you all that for... Um, at least the next three weeks, I will not be here, okay? Um, that, uh, that doesn't mean that I'm going anywhere permanently, right? It just means that for the next three weeks, as I said last week, my, my wife Sherry is having some surgery tomorrow, and I will be home caring for her and, um, and our five beautiful kids. I trust at the end of the four weeks or so, we'll still have five kids, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, legit prayer request, please. Um, but uh, we'll be home caring for them for the next few weeks, and so have some, uh, have some faithful men from right here in our congregation that are going to be bringing the word for us over the next few weeks. John Staley's going to be preaching next week, and so we'll, we're going to pray over him before, before the morning is over. I will pray over Sherry before the morning is over. And then Stacy as well, um, whom we all know and love, um, is having uh, her surgery on Friday, right? On Friday, and so um, we'll be praying for her as well, and then praying for any of any of you all who would like um, would like to be prayed over as well. Um, we'll we'll be praying up here after the service. So wanted to remind you of that. Um, that will not be here over the next few weeks, but. Um, the show will go on, of course. And um, last week we went, we, we started in the book of Acts, preceding the life and ministry of Jesus. Um, coming out of Easter, you know, what happens after Easter? What, do you, what is there to talk about, right? That's kind of the, the, the attitude. Well, there's a lot to talk about um, because it's, it's after Easter that. That the, that the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus made to those who believed in him, believed on him uh, for salvation, the, he promised them that, hey, when I leave, right, when I, uh, when, the, when I ascend back into heaven, I will go to my Father, and, um, and I will ask him, and my Father will send to you and to all who believe the Holy Spirit, right? And, um, and Jesus is like, this is, guys, this is a really good thing. And you want the Holy Spirit. And 
you should be looking forward to this. And the Holy Spirit's going to bring truth into your life. He's going he's to convict you of sin. And He's going to bring you into holiness. And He's going to... He's going, to be the, he's going to be the power for the proclamation of the gospel that goes out into, into all of the world. And we're going to see a little bit what, what the fruit of that was this morning. All right, That's what we talked about last week. So if, just a, a quick review on some of the things from last week. Number one, these are just going to be in bullet point form, right? Number one from last week is that um, the Holy Spirit... Right? The Holy Spirit is given to every believer at the moment of salvation. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit is given to every believer. We know this um, by what we see Paul say in Ephesians chapter 1, verse uh, 13, I believe it is. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, right? Having believed, then Paul says, so at the moment that you received or were included in Christ, the moment of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So it was at the moment of salvation, the moment of belief, the moment where the gospel came uh, came upon your life that you were marked and sealed with the Holy Spirit. We also know um, that that at the moment of salvation you receive the Holy Spirit because of what we're gonna we're gonna hear Peter say today in his sermon to the religious leaders after Pentecost in Acts chapter two, uh, verse thirty-eight. Um, and we'll get there, but 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 Peter makes when 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 Peter preaches the gospel. And everyone is like, oh my gosh, okay, well, what do we do now with this message? What do we do now with this revelation that Jesus Christ was the Messiah and that he, he has actually come to, to bring forgiveness and redemption and wholeness? And Peter replied in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, under the power of the Holy Spirit, he says, well, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so it's at the, the moment of repentance, the moment of reception, the moment of forgiveness. We can label that in a lot of different ways, but what we're really saying is the moment someone receives Jesus as Savior and is, believes on Him in, in faith, both Paul and Peter reply that it's at that moment that you receive the Holy Spirit. Because we often talk in the church, or you... We don't, but you, you may have come from a faith tradition or you uh, may have heard this, uh, you know, conversations about like, well, yeah, I, I, I chose to follow Jesus, surrendered my life to Jesus, and was saved on this day, but I, I, didn't, really, I didn't really pray to receive the Holy Spirit until this time, right? And, and, um, and, 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 and all things considered, we, I, I understand, like, how people kind of make those separations. But, but, but biblically speaking, there is, there is no second baptism of the Spirit. There's not a, you come to salvation, right? But then you need to pray that in, by following Jesus, then you need to pray that you would receive the Holy Spirit. The Scripture is very clear that at the moment of salvation, God pours His Spirit out upon you. It is the mark and the seal and the deposit guaranteeing your inheritance for for um, eternal life. 
And Peter says the same thing. That at the, that at the, moment, of, that the moment of repentance, the moment of forgiveness, that the Holy, you, receive, you receive the Holy Spirit. We're going to get back to that in a second because I think there's some important um, points there that we need to make. But that was number one point from last week. Number two point from last week is that the Holy Spirit is it's not, the, not like the red-headed stepchild of the Trinity. Right? It's not like the, the, the lesser than the Father or the lesser than the Son, you know, like, oh, we, yeah, we really like, we really dig Jesus. The Holy Spirit's kind of cool and everything, but I'm kind of all about Jesus. Like, well, we, we really have no language for that in, in both Christian faith and, and biblically because the, the Holy Spirit, even, even Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is the, the very presence and power of God himself in you and with you after salvation and through life. Jesus promised this, John chapter 14, verse 17, um, as he was talking to his disciples. He said, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you that the okay where is the holy spirit right now well he's both with us in the room right now in this moment like omnipresent in the world right but he is also for those of us who believe by faith in jesus he he literally lives in us right he is the he is the power of god unto salvation for you for your even for your for your mind, for your emotions, for your body, for your soul. He is the power of God in you. This was a promise of Jesus that the Holy Spirit would live in you. Number three from last week. The Holy Spirit is God's living promise securing your redemption and your salvation at a day to come. Right? So, so I express faith in Jesus Christ, Right? And I am in that very moment, right, forgiven of my sins. I am, I, am, I am saved, right? You could say that I have salvation or forgiveness or God has redeemed me or whatever language you choose to, to use there. But I'm, I'm also walking in the midst of that promise not yet being fully fulfilled in life, right? Because has God saved me? Yeah, God has saved me, right? But the totality of the promise that exists in that salvation will not be realized either until I die in this life or Jesus returns, right? So, so it's like, okay, God's like, you are saved. I have, I have redeemed, you are mine, right? To prove, to confirm that I have adopted you as my child, to affirm and reaffirm you, I'm going to, I'm going to place a deposit in your life. And this, this deposit guarantees your future inheritance to glory. The deposit that God puts in us is his spirit. So God's like, I want you to be so aware and sure of your eternal destiny that I will deposit my actual presence within you. This is the seal, right? 
irrevocable withdrawal, right? Cannot be withdrawn. You are marked and deposited with the seal of the Holy Spirit. And of course, we read that already in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It was the first part of what Paul was writing there to the church in Ephesus. Uh, We'll read it again just for posterity's sake. And you are also, this is Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, you are also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So it's like God's God telling you, hey, look, this is my, you know, like when you place a, this week I bought a tractor, right? Because apparently that's what you do in your late 30s. You buy tractors. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know, right? And so in order to buy, in order to buy a tractor for my little, my little farm, I had to put a deposit on it, right? And that, that deposit, um, that secured that as mine. Right? And, and when I went to go pick that up, right, that, that deposit marked that tractor as belonging to me. It secures it for me. And, it's, and, and the Holy Spirit secures your salvation. Right? You're, you're, you're walking in the midst of your salvation being already secured, but not yet fully realized. Do you understand that? Already secured, not yet fully realized. It's coming. But it's already here. You are saved. You are redeemed. You are a, you are a child of the Most High God. And He has promised you that by His Holy Spirit being in you. But I want to go back to this idea of there being um, like the, the moment of salvation and the reception of the Holy Spirit, okay? Because I think this can be, we, um, we want to have, we want to stand on truth, right? We don't want to have opinions, right? I mean, I guess it's, it's okay to have opinions, right? Um, but but when, we're, when we're talking about like, when we're talking about grabbing onto and holding tight to and, and, and developing our relationship with God, we want to develop our relationship with God, His Holy Spirit, not based, on the, not based on opinions, but based on what we see in the Word. Okay? And so that's why, we, that's why we're kind of trying to make this distinction about when the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life, being not, not some, like, some second filling or second baptism that you need to receive apart from being saved through Jesus. We just don't see it in Scripture. We see many times where the Holy Spirit comes upon someone who is already saved, or at the moment of salvation, right? Um, But never, uh, oh, Jesus, I follow you, I am your disciple, you have saved me, but you you forgot to give me your Holy Spirit, so could you now please pour out your Holy Spirit into my life. We just don't see that in Scripture. The question for us, um, for you and for me, is is not 
do we have all of the Holy Spirit? That is not the question. If you have received Jesus by faith, if he is your Lord and Savior, if he has forgiven your sins, if, he has, if you are a son or daughter of the Most High God, the question is not, do I have all of the Holy Spirit? I mean, it may be a question, but the answer is yes. You have all of it. God is not withholding any bit of his presence from your life. Okay? So the question is not, do you have all of the Holy Spirit? The question really is kind of the inverse. Does the Holy Spirit have all of you and I? Does the, does the presence and power and work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, does he have it all? Because in, in God's gentleness and in God's mercy and in God's forbearance and grace, he allows us, he has, he has freely given us the freedom to say, no thanks, God. Don't want it. Not now. Not for me. Right? And that's often why we see people who seemingly follow Jesus and love Jesus and are disciples of Jesus you know, develop patterns of bitterness and hard-heartedness and habitual patterns of sin where they're, they're you're cordoning off sections of their very lives and saying... Like, no, the Holy Spirit can't have this part of me. Can't have my, can't have my emotions, right? Can't have my physical desires, right? No, I, th- that's for me, right? Can't have, um, uh, does not have lordship over this area of my life, right? So the question is, does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Does the Holy Spirit have all of me? That is the critical and key question when it comes to our relationship with him. And scripture describes really kind of two separate ways, and it describes it in two separate ways, with two separate words and two separate meanings and all that. Two separate ways that the Holy Spirit doesn't have all of us. Two separate words. The first word that is is used um, uh, is, uh, Paul uses the term... um, Grieving the Spirit. We can also quench the Spirit. He, uses, he describes these, these two, uh, I don't call them patterns or habits, but actions, that types of responses that we can have to the Holy Spirit's movement in our lives, and they're different, okay? We can either grieve or we can quench. What's the difference? Well, let's look at the scriptural um, points where um, Paul says this. First in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 50. Not verse 50, verse 30. Did you think someone stole the second part of Ephesians 4 in your Bible? (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. 
I guess if you read it in context, you could, you could read verse 29 too as well. And he says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The word grieve here is the same word that's used in, for instance, that Jesus uses in the parable of the prodigal son, the response of the father to the actions of his two sons. That the father grieves the actions of the two sons who, who deny or walk away from or separate themselves from the father. The, the younger son who, who takes all that the, his portion of what the father has and, and leaves. And so we have this understanding of what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit is, to, is, is doing something that he doesn't want you to do. Grieving the Holy Spirit is a, is a deliberate action of going ahead and doing something that the Holy Spirit, God, does not want you to do. Well, that seems quite, like, simple. Well, it, it is. It's also general, right? But I would, I would encourage you maybe to, to um, look into your own life for just a moment, okay? And, um, and remember a specific instance, because um, I'm trusting by faith right now that the Holy Spirit is bringing... An example into your mind of a moment, right? Of a time period, or maybe several. Where you got this really clear, you got this really clear inner witness in your own spirit. Or maybe you called it an intuition. Or maybe a feeling of a, you know, I really shouldn't do this. I shouldn't say this. I shouldn't look at this. I shouldn't take this. And there was that moment of like, don't do that. Please don't do that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say that you did it. And it caused pain in your life. It caused some pain, right? Because, listen, when God says don't, he's like, hey, don't hurt yourself. Not, not don't because I don't want you to have any fun. Or I'm, you know, like, that, I, that, I'm, that I'm just like some white guy in the sky with a beard and a lightning bolt ready to, gah, when you do something bad. And there's no fun in heaven, right? Um, no. When, when, God says, when God says, my child, don't. It's because, it's because his, 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 he has such a high desire for you to experience the fullness of his goodness and favor in your life that any moment where you would like put a wall up between him and that favor and that blessing and that goodness, he's like, please don't. Please don't. You might not understand why it's a don't. You might think 
that it's going to make you feel better, do this in your, you just got to get that out, or you got to, you got to look at that, or you got to take that, or you got to use that, or you got to say that, or you got to go, he's like, you, you don't know what it's going to do to you. And then we do it anyway, right? We do it anyway. And it's so, like, I want you to hear the word of the Lord this morning. When, what, what does Paul say? And that angers God. Mm-mm. No, <laughs> that angers the Holy Spirit. He says, it grieves him. Like we cause, we cause grief to the heart of the Spirit, right? Over the things that we choose to do when he says don't. Because he, he loves, because like, like if any, any parent, right, would see their child doing something deliberately that they know is going to cause them pain, but they have no um, they have no power to stop. And then you grieve the consequences of what you warned them against, but you can't save them from it, right? And so, and so we, can, we can literally grieve the heart of the Holy Spirit. And it, and it withholds the power. The other thing that Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, I don't even have it written down here. I think it's 1 Thessalonians 5.19, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Your, um, your translation may, may say, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Some of your trans- translations may say, douse, do not douse the, the fire of the Holy Spirit. Some translations might say, don't quench the Holy Spirit, right? All, all the same meaning, right? If you, if you um, imagine like the Holy Spirit as a, as a, as a fire, right? And, and the power and the heat and the warmth of the, of the Spirit working in your life and working through a situation and, 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 and working for goodness and wholeness and power in your life and then it's like big bucket of water and psh, And you know that you have that power. That God gives you that freedom. And I, and I know you might be saying, like, oh my gosh, God, take that power away from me. I don't want the power to quench the Holy Spirit. But look, look, the freedom that you have to say no to God is the ultimate expression of his love for you. It is absolutely the most, the deepest, the highest expression of love is the freedom that you have to choose not to love him. I could, not, I could not force my wife down the aisle and force her to marry me, right? Against her wishes and then call it love, right? No, she, because she can choose not to love me, the choice to love me is the ultimate example of what love is, right? 
She could choose anyone else. Why would she, right? But, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but like, there's there's this sense, like, there's this sense that 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 God's that when God gives you the freedom to choose, right? He is expressing His deep love for you. I love you so much. I'm not going to force you to do anything. You can do whatever you want. Love, love communicates the consequences, right? But it doesn't force the hand. And so we might want to, we might ask the Lord, Lord, take the bucket of water out of my hands when I'm about to quench your Holy Spirit. But, but God's like, nah, I love you too much. I love you too much to force you. And what Paul says here um, in his letter to the Thessalonians, he's like, hey, look, do not put out the, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And you may have had an instance in your life where you felt like, so the difference between grieving and quenching is that quenching the Holy Spirit is when we don't do something that we know God wants us to do. And I tell you flat out, like, the, the, the story of my the story of me coming to Conduit is a story of me quenching the Holy Spirit for about eight years of ministry before I came here. I'm going to be flat out honest with you. Like, I knew before I even graduated college, before I went into seminary, that I was supposed to plant a church in Jamestown. That I was supposed to be a part of planting churches in Jamestown. It was as clear as anything from the Lord has ever been. But I was scared. I didn't know what to do. I was a young husband. I was just in seminary. I wasn't making any, like we were eating, you know, like SpaghettiOs and grilled cheese every night of the week, right? It's like, and I can't, it, it, what, nothing against SpaghettiO and grilled cheese if that's your jam, but like I, you know, right, but, but, you, you get the point, right? It was like, I was, I was afraid, right? I was afraid. And so I'm like, Lord, you know, I'm just gonna, if I just go into this, like, denominational life, no, again, nothing against denominations, right? But I go into denominational life, and I get I'm established, and they, they pay for my house, and I have a nice salary, and promise of promotion. It's just really safe, right? Just so safe. And God's like, ah. Mm. But you know, you know that, that that's where I want you. That's where I, that's where I need you. That's where, I, that's where I want you to go, yeah, um, so maybe when I'm done with seminary. Or maybe next year. Or maybe this. Or maybe that. Or how about just like a, um, you know, it's kind of like la, 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 <laughs> like, I uh, don't want to hear it, Lord. Like, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. And my wife will tell the story if any of you have ever asked her. Like, it was probably about once a year for eight, eight or nine years before I came here in ministry where I would have this, like, where I was dumping water on the Holy Spirit, but, like, the fire was just getting hotter. Right? And I would, we would have this come-to-Jesus moment. And I'm like, ah, we got to do this. Like, we got we to gotta leave this church. We got to go plant churches. Like, and then I would just like kind of white knuckle my safety for a couple more weeks until it passed. And like, okay. Whew. Until finally, like the fire just got too hot. Right? 
Now, again, in the goodness and gentleness and grace of God, right, came here, and it's been a really nice, easy transition the next last six years, right? (laughs) But, (laughs) all kidding aside, right, the gentleness and the grace of God, you know, brought us to this point. Now, here I am, and just continuing to discover God's faithfulness in my life. But that's not to say go ahead and quench the Spirit's voice in your life for eight years because it's going to be okay. Don't do what I did. Don't do what I did. Because I am, I am fully convinced that when I get to heaven, Jesus is going to, he's going, to, he's going to press play on a movie and he's going to show me all that I forfeited by quenching him for eight years. All that I missed. Every, every soul that was put into the balance. And that is, that is a heavy thing. Okay? When, we, when we quench the Holy Spirit, it's not always a gentle response. Uh, because he has things to do in our lives. So... So you can quench the Holy Spirit. Um, you can um, grieve the Holy Spirit. But something happened when Jesus ascended back into heaven. And Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection. Um, that when you talk about the Holy Spirit, you can't not talk about Pentecost, right? You can't not talk about the moment where the promise of Jesus to tell the Father to pour out the Spirit is not fulfilled. Right? Jesus keeps his promises. And the moment of Pentecost that we see in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost, is the moment where the promise of Jesus to have the Father send the Spirit upon the church is fulfilled and realized in real time. But, uh, so if you have your Bible, go to Acts chapter 2, okay? Now, I'm going to say that there is a, a word of, not caution, but a word of guidance for us as we read Acts chapter 2, and as we consider what happened at Pentecost, because it's easy to ask the question, what in the heck is going on? What is going on? Let's, let's just read this section of um, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they, meaning the believers, were all together in one place, suddenly... A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, When they heard the sound, they came together, and each one heard them speaking in their own language. 
utterly amazed. They ask, are not all these people here who are speaking Galileans? Why then do I hear them in my own language? And then he goes on to tell of all the different nationalities and dialects and languages that were there. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phygria, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, uh, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? i got to ask the same question. What does this mean? What in the world does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Okay. So, how do we make sense of what, is hap- what happened here? Well, I don't quite think that it's as maybe difficult or confusing for us as we sometimes make it, right? Because what's imperative here is that we read and we understand what happened at Pentecost in the context of what Jesus said was going to happen. It's important for us to not separate the act of Pentecost from the um, preceding ministry of Jesus. Because what Jesus says is like, what, what, did, what did Jesus say? Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 8, he said, Do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift of my Father, which you have heard me speak about. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then it goes into verse 7. It's not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Pentecost, right? Holy Spirit comes on the church at Pentecost. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So listen, um, the pouring out of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 was like the, it was like the gas pedal of God's mission to redeem the whole world through faith in Jesus Christ. So God, had, God has always been on the mission to redeem the world to himself, right? Jesus was like the, the catalyst to that redemption for the whole world and not just the Jewish nation, right? And then what, what Jesus said is like, okay, now that, now that I'm here and now that God's going to continue to redeem not just the Jewish nation, but the whole world, we need to put our foot on the gas pedal of that mission. So the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon you in power, right? And in that power, he says in Acts chapter, um, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit, and then you will be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the whole world, right? So now when you look at what Jesus promised and said that the purpose of the Holy Spirit would be in the pouring out, that it would be the 
it would be the power of the church to take the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world. And then you come over to Acts chapter 2 and you ask the question, what in the world happened? You see, well, okay, it seems as though the Holy Spirit came suddenly and in this audible, visible, manifested way, right? Because Luke, the writer of Acts, describes it as, well, we saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. And it sounded like, right, he's using, he's using these earthly human analogies to describe, try to describe, this heavenly breaking into the world that's happening, right? And he's doing the best he can. It sounded like the blowing of a violent wind, and it kind of looked like tongues of fire that separated and laid on each one. Like, well, wow, that's really confusing. And then people started speaking in different languages, right? It's not so confusing when you understand and go back to the context to say that, well, the power of the Holy Spirit was for the purpose of taking the message of the gospel to parts of the world that we're not living in right now. And what is necessary in those moments, what is necessary in order to proclaim the gospel to people that don't speak and talk, you, you need to know their language, right? And so God is like, hey, look, the gas pedal of taking the promise of the gospel to people that don't speak like you is the Holy Spirit. It's going to come upon you in power. And all of a sudden, there's going to be people among you that are speaking in tongues that you never spoken before. Because look, in Acts 2, the crowd that was there that represented generally the entire population of the world in cultural diversity and language is like, wait a second. These guys are all Galileans. Why can I hear them proclaiming the gospel in my own language? They shouldn't be able to do that. They don't, they don't know how to speak. I don't know what they speak in Mesopotamia. Mesopotamian? Right? But, but you come, we come to understand that, that God was like, hey, look, I told you that the message of the gospel was not just for you to hold on to yourself and keep. That my Holy Spirit was going to come upon you in such miraculous heavenly power that you literally in this moment will be given the, op the, the, the ability to speak a language you never spoke so that people that had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ before would hear it for the first time. Holy Spirit. Right. It's very clear that the words that were spoken in that moment, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, were intelligible words. It wasn't as, you know, as Paul dealt with in the first Corinthian, in the Corinthian church, Corinthians 12 through, chapters 12 through 14, where he is addressing speaking in tongues and in an ecstatic language, which we will get to, I promise, not today, but we will get to. But what happened at Pentecost seems to be something completely different, where, where these words were intelligible by actual people without the need for translation in the midst of worship, right? It was two separate things, two separate scenarios, two separate situations that came about with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, 
we're getting a little long, and I want to close up here. But I this you got to hear this, okay? You got to know this that well. What does this mean for me? Like I. Does this mean I gotta ask the Holy Spirit to teach me Spanish? <laughs> Maybe. Sure. Yeah. Don't quench it if he is, right? Uh, like, yeah. Um, but understand here too the transforming power of the Spirit. And the best one of the best examples we have about on this is Peter himself in this moment. Because what do the people say? Oh, these people are just drunk on wine. I don't know what's going on here, but they're drunk. And then it says in verse 14, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Now, (laughs) pre-Holy Spirit pouring on Peter... What was Peter doing? He was like, I don't know that Jesus guy. I don't know who he is. Three times, right? And then even even, um, post-resurrection, right? Like he was hiding in an upper room and the women had to come tell him, hey, Jesus is resurrected, by the way. Might want to go check it out. (laughs) Not like the greatest example and like, bastion of gospel proclamation no matter what happened, right, in the face of all opposition. He was scared and he had denied Jesus and he consistently over time stuck his foot in his mouth throughout the ministry of Jesus. Peter, really like impetuous guy. Then the Holy Spirit comes upon him at Pentecost in this moment here. The Holy Spirit comes upon him and he's like, you can just see, like, you know, on, like, a video game when you, like, grab the health bar or something like that, and, like, the health, like, just goes up, 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 up. You can see, like, the Holy Spirit, like, just filling him up with boldness, and then it says he stood up amongst the whole crowd, and he just completely lays waste to these people in all the best ways possible, right? Um... Look in verse 22 of Acts chapter 22. What does he say to these religious leaders, those you know, in, the, in the temple at that time? He says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you... With the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. Calling him right out. Right? But God raised him from the dead. Freeing him from the agony of death. Because it was impossible for death to keep him. (laughs) It comes down into verse 36. It says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So the same crowd of people who Peter had been running from out of fear, right? 
and who had denied knowing Jesus. Now he stood before them and said, Yes, Jesus was the Messiah, accredited to you by God by signs and miracles and wonders. You didn't care. You crucified him anyway. That didn't matter to God. He beat death, brought him back to life. There, there you have it. Denying, fearful Peter, now brimming with Holy Spirit boldness to proclaim, not in like anger, right? Not even, not even with violence, but just like flat out, here's what's happened, here's what you've done, and, and what is now the, the fruit that Holy Spirit-inspired proclaiming of the gospel brings? What's the fruit? When the people heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers and sisters, what do we do? Like, before, they were ready to hang and try every disciple of Jesus. Now the Holy Spirit comes upon the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and new power comes from it, but not just new power, but now increased fruit. Because the Holy Spirit, like Jesus promised, has taken the truth of God's proclamation and shoved it so deep down into these people's souls that they can't escape the reality of it. He's broken the hardness of their hearts, and now they see, when they didn't see before, that this Jesus was actually the Messiah. He is who he said he was. He did what he said he would do. And he will be who he said he will be. And so Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 40. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. In verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's Holy Spirit fruitfulness. Oh, that's just, you know, that kind of stuff only happened in like early church times. Says who? Says who? That's opinion. But, but look, the, the, the principle here, the truth here, is that when, when a scared, fearful person is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, there is virtually no end to the fruit that they produce for the kingdom. There's no limit to it. 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. And it's, it's clear that some didn't believe, right? Those who accepted his message that day is what the word says. It's assumed that others didn't, right? I'm not, I'm not responsible. Did you know that I'm not responsible for your salvation? Did you know that? I hope you know that, because some of y'all, I think, think I'm responsible for it. Okay? <laughs> I'm not responsible for your salvation. You are responsible for your salvation. Okay? Um, I, I, I am responsible to, to faithfully proclaim the gospel over your life and the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And those who accepted the message were baptized and came uh, and added to their number daily, right? Um, 
And so it's very clear here that Peter laid out in the power of the Holy Spirit that, that hey, if you, if you repent, be baptized of your sins today, you will be, you'll be saved and the Holy Spirit will be upon your life. Um, let's uh, have the worship team come back up as we uh, finish up, close out this. Actually, could I, John, would you mind coming up too so I can uh, pray for you here? And then, uh, and then after we're done, after we close uh, the last song this morning, like I said, we'll be praying up here, praying for Sherry and Stacy and anyone else that would like to be prayed over or for. Um, you can join us up here for prayer. We're going to pray for John this morning, who's going to be bringing the word to us. Um, he'll be bringing the word to us next week. And then, um, and then I'll ask you to pray for next week. When you're done, pray for Eric. Eric Clark, who will be bringing the word in the next week, okay? So if you would extend your hand, or you can come up and lay your hands on John too, that's okay. Extend your hand to John. We're going to ask, Father, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit, fill John. Lord, we know that John, uh, you have not withheld your spirit from him, or that he has your spirit, and we see the fruit of the spirit in his life, but Lord, we ask now that you would fill him to the brim with boldness, confidence, clarity, and wisdom, Lord, that as he opens the word of God and proclaims the word of God, Lord, that um, we would see Holy Spirit fruit from that proclamation next week. Lord, we pray uh, for his physical, mental, emotional, spiritual health this week, for the health of his family. Lord, that as he prepares to bring the word uh, next week, that you would pour out your favor upon him in Jesus' name. Amen.